Welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist. Here with you with another wonderful interview and thought-provoking as well. I want to remind everybody that this podcast is for entertainment and education purposes only and does not constitute working with a licensed mental health professional. I do suggest you seek a professional in your area to work on your unique issues. So our interview today is with a colleague who, if you've listened to The Rebel Therapist, you might have heard their episode. But fundamentally, I actually met this person, as you probably heard from some of our other past uh, uh, interviews, at the first BIPOC brain spotting in Atlanta, Georgia, in 2019, before the world went completely. And I have quietly followed their work as we uh, have moved along, and I thought this would be a great one. Now, this recording, and for all transparency, is being recorded in November, just before Thanksgiving. But you're hearing it now in February as part of our Black History, Black Excellence, Black Pride Month. So I'd like you to meet our person today, which is Mashara Daniels. And Mashara, and if I mispronounce names, that's probably that I may have, and I'll let them correct it there. Uh, Mashara is a former creation, recreation and adventure therapist of 10 years who is, a, who is passionate about trauma healing performance benefits of play. A self-proclaimed play historian and cultural healthcare nerd, she amplifies patterns of cultural leisure recreational history, comparing them to current mental wellness needs. In her work, she helps communities celebrate the mental health care systems within their own cultures and healthcare professionals rejuvenate their own lives. Mishara is an adventurer since childhood, trauma worker since youth, and therapist for almost a decade. Her life experiences include lifelong body honesty and separation from a multi-generational faith-based family cult at age 18, which influenced her commitment to whole community healing through self-awareness and self-accountability and self-compassion. She continues that work through curiosity and deep faith in individuals their bodies, their communities, and their ancestors as experts on their own healing. Mashara believes bodies remember healing experiences just like they remember harm. Playful and creativity, she invites all community members to engage in their own daily mental wellness, education, communal support alongside fellow descendants of mental health expert ancestors like you. She can be found curating an archive of Black, Brown, and Indigenous play history called Tribe Thrive, accepting applications for the next cohort of healthcare professionals looking to crave. Welcome to Untying Knots. And again, I apologize if I missed up the name. <laughs> Thank you for the welcome. That was so kind. Um, so yeah, I'll break down the name. <laughs> My name is Mishara. Uh, Danielle Winston. So my last name is Winston. Um, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Well, welcome. So uh, even though we read a bit of your bio, how did you get here into all of this? Ooh, 
All right. Um, long story made much shorter. <laughs> I was really into going outside when I was a kid, when I was stressed out and I was pretty stressed out often. So I mm -hmm. learned that something about being outside, something about nature, something about recreation and being with our homies um, was really good for mental wellness. And it was really good for helping us feel safe to be vulnerable. I got curious about that. I eventually became an adventure therapist. I was doing that for 10 years. And one thing that really stood out to me um, initially in my education was that a lot of the concepts I was learning in terms of what makes um, good mental health were the things that I was already noticing in my Black cultural community growing up. And I was already noticing in my Brown uh, community neighbors, I was already noticing mental wellness that was being passed down from elders and then you know their ancestors into communities. And I thought about, is this the way that people don't fall through the cracks when they mm. actually have communal systems of mental health care? But then I also noticed that in the current system of things, in the current um, medical industrial complex, caregivers, these professionals with all these licenses and degrees and excellent passion and training were getting burnt out all the time. And so I went back to those cultural ways of being and said, how did they take care of their, uh, their midwives, their care providers, their medicine people in ways that were not about martyrdom, were not about saviorism um, and, and actually kept their care providers juicy and supported reciprocally and that that changed my life so here i am now um sharing as as that healthcare nerd as that play historian sharing how communities have cared for their mental wellness historically and still can for today's challenges but also how to do that in a way that does not completely wear out our therapists, our healers, our care providers, because we also have a history of taking much better care of each other and being taken care of ourselves. Beautiful, beautiful. That's because that's a very critical thing, especially now as we deal with the ramifications of what everything the pandemic has had and the hit to mental health crisis, the mental health crisis as it has been so dubbed. Um, even though it's been going on a lot longer than that, uh, with the burnout and those leaving the field as well. Absolutely. I think that uh, we will continue to see people leave the field it, I, if it cannot sustain their care. And I honestly don't believe that it can because mm -hmm. that wasn't built into the foundation. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's like we're on the back end trying to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah let's not forget about the care providers, but there are cultural historical foundations that never forgot them. And we can actually learn a lot from those foundations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I was actually talking with uh, another group of black therapists this last weekend, and we were talking about a new, let's just say, way that they want to approach that would have more people 
listed as being in health, uh, being receiving mental health treatment, but really you're just piling on more work for the oh. therapist or at least whoever the care provider. And frankly, it sounds more like case management than actually addressing moving somebody towards healing oh so that they goodness. can say that. And my suspicions being that they can just say that, oh, well, we're treating people because we've got them here on the list, on the rolls, as opposed to, no, you actually haven't moved them forward. You've got them just spinning in place. Absolutely. I think... Um... <laughs> I think one of my, um, one of the things that I was very determined about when I was being trained as a therapist in Chicago was that I was not interested in helping people cope. Mm -hmm. um, because I don't feel that systematic harm um, should be coped with. Mm -hmm. I am interested in liberation. I am interested in people thriving. I am interested in people healing and not being at risk of being harmed in the exact ways that they were just harmed mm -hmm. and are healing from. So keeping them stuck and spinning while saying, let's practice your coping skills. There are some things that should not be coped with. No. And it places individual responsibility on people like a flower that's not doing well in a, in a, in a bed that is not nourishing it and says, why won't you use these skills to grow? And it's mm -hmm. like, because of the bed itself um, isn't something to be coped with. It's something that is not nourishing the people. Right, yeah. And just to put push the plant metaphor further, I mean, if the soil is too alkaline or too acid, something's not gonna grow. If there's not enough nitrogen, it's not gonna grow. If there's not enough uh, inorganic matter that's necessary for the processing, it's not gonna grow. Absolutely. And I would say that the ways in which people have already coped and maintained and managed to still be here, I'm thinking of trans people, non-binary people, Black people of all types of identities, folks for whom English is not a first language, and here they are on this, um, I always call it kidnapped land. Um, they have, it, it, is a, it is a miracle that they are still here. It is miraculous mm. that they are still even here. And I think it's a testament to the mental wellness uh, genius that's already in their communities and to the ancestors that passed that down through their bodies. I don't think they need to be working any harder, <laughs> basically. I think we Precisely. need to be in awe that <laughs> many of us of these identities are still even here. Mm -hmm. not giving mm -hmm. us more tasks to do exactly but that fits into some other narratives but we'll go in those if we, if we need to <laughs> so tell me much more about the your 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 thriving your tribal thriving okay. and what that does and how that helps our, our practitioners who hopefully will be hearing this and be knocking at your door <laughs> okay okay so you mentioned tribe thrive um Yes, I will talk about just a few of Tribe Thrive's tenants and that will flesh out <laughs> who should be knocking on my door and, and, and why if they choose to. So Tribe Thrive asserts that well before we had group therapy, um, 
we were already doing group therapy and it was called our tribes and that all people are indigenous to somewhere all people came from the folks before them hundreds 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 of years ago and they had ways of caring for each other built into their social systems that were not just about taking from each other oppressing um, ways that allowed them to be cared for. And I call that mental wellness genius. And so um, being a Black person, I pay attention to my own Black ancestral uh, foundations. And I'm not saying, here are the Black, um, you know, ways of healing that we've managed to keep and keep private <laughs> for thousands of years take them. I am not looking at other people's cultures and saying, tell me all your cultural secrets so that I may, you know, place them in my own community. I'm saying we've all got it. And so if we look back before the trauma that wrecked your people, whoever your people may have been, the traumas that you've done to other people, who were you first? Um, and everyone is indigenous to somewhere. So we can do that. <clears throat> we can look at our pre-colonial history. So Tribe Thrive has these three tenets that shared lived experience communities. So not the communities that we try to, these are air quotes, serve, but are not mm -hmm. actually members of. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm pushing back on an academic lens right now when I say that shared lived experience communities, that's our shared vulnerabilities, our shared lived experience communities already have mental health experience and expertise by nature of having the same shared experiences that have made us vulnerable and kept us afloat. We, those communities already have shared mental wellness expertise. The next tenant is that Black, Brown, and original peoples globally um, and have inherited pleasure, play, and joy based on whole community mental health care systems. And so when I say it is a miracle that some of us are here and we get together and we play, and if you mm -hmm. look at history, whether folks are in, goodness forbid, concentration camps, whether folks are in enslavement, they still have the actual audacity to come up with little games. They mm -hmm. still have the audacity to find something to smile about. Um, if I think about like my ancestors in the woods in Kentucky would sneak off, they had passes where they would tell black people, this is when you're allowed to go, um, you know, maybe even see your children on another plantation or, or go, you know, tend to your own uh, hope at all. And folks would sneak off without a pass and say, we're gonna go to the woods, unsupervised, unsurveilled, and we're gonna dance. And we're gonna come up, you've taken our drums, we're gonna use our thighs and make a beat, and we're gonna check on each other. And so that second tenant, black and brown and indigenous communities have inherited pleasure, play and joy-based whole community mental healthcare systems from their ancestors. That's what I mean there. I'm lifting up the everyday person and not just the person who like me got the degrees and the licenses. Mm -hmm. And that third tenant is that 
within pre-colonial community mental wellness systems, the specialists, the healers, the therapists, if you will, um, of all kinds, within their shared lived experience communities, they were actually sustained and supported. Mm -hmm. People, professionals like ourselves have dreams that need to stay juicy too. We should not be drained by constant chronic crisis or um, anything that really reduces our personhoods and says, we are nothing more than martyrs. We are, we are nothing more than folks who should sacrifice and sacrifice. When something sacrifices, that means it dies. Eventually, yeah, the word means something must climb upon an altar and die. And mm -hmm. so um, what is it to say my essence, my personhood, I am an excellent care provider because I do not let myself be sacrificed upon the altar. And because mm -hmm. my community values me. So I ought to keep being here and I value them. So together in our shared lived experience, let's, mm -hmm. let's do a thing. So all the services that come through uh, Tribe Thrive and my, my own niche, which is people professionals, um, focusing on their passions within their shared lived experience communities and staying juicy. All of that comes through those, those tenets of Tribe Thrive. Very nice. That anti-martyrdom, anti-savior, take me off of this pedestal. I deserve a nourishing daily life. And so does my community. We should not oh, be in constant crisis. Very much so. Because in, uh, as I know, I've heard others say that there are those those clients who assume that we just live in our office and as soon as somebody, the last client's gone for the day, we just basically sit there in the dark, poised and ready to, for the lights to come back on like we're some sort of robot, but equally balanced with that aspect of confidentiality, which is mm -hmm. still based a lot more on Bob and Sue Middle America versus mm -hmm. you're at the end of the night, you're going to be going out to the street fair or going to dinner in your community that you live in. Right. And I know that's a standard clause. I speak with every new client. What's going to happen? How are we going to handle things when we see each other at the grocery store or at the movie theater or so? But this is all right. Do, do we want to acknowledge each other's presence or ignore each other's presence? And that's in respect to your confidentiality. But that's also that standpoint of, yeah, I'm out here living my life. Most people who are with me know what I do. Anyone who's with you doesn't. And now are you being comfortable sharing you're in therapy, which the more I'm seeing people who are willing to say that, the more we're continuing to change this paradigm about the fear and stigma around therapy. Absolutely. I think that the, the colonial lens says that there's something wrong with you and that's why you go see a care provider or that's why you receive communal care. But the pre-colonial notion is that we all communally care for each other. We have shared traditions that are about every week we meet on the porch on Friday night and we feed each other and we check on each other. Every Saturday we have basement parties. We go to the skating rink, we go to the basketball court. And so I think that in some of the training that I received, the idea was that the professional who is a separate entity and never needs help themselves except for from other professionals who are placed upon a pedestal 
they will leave that community they quote serve unquote and they will go to their own church synagogue temple mosque and they will go to their own bars and parties and they will go to their own places where they're sharing food and they will not interact and that idea assumes this ain't my community too mm-hmm. that a that idea assumes you're not Muslim with one mosque in the whole town, the whole mm-hmm. city. It assumes you're not a trans person. Couldn't be. You must be a cis person who delivers, quote unquote, care to the also suffering um, others. You could mm-hmm. not be marginalized. You could not be in shared relationship Um, according to lived experience. And so it isolates care providers and says, if you are real, you will lose your community. You will Mm -hmm. abandon your community. And in so doing, you will abandon yourself because your position is higher. Mm -hmm. And our communities, for those of us who are willing to admit our shared vulnerabilities, our communities are what keep us here. They Mm -hmm. nourish us, they feed us, they protect us, they connect with us. And so what I think of is what are the daily life (laughs) anti-martyr practices that consistently remember and restore our personal juiciness because we are community members too. Mm -hmm. We need our communities too. And so I'm asking my people when, you know, back when, I did individual therapy. What are we going to do? Because we might find ourselves at the same, uh, not just community protest, at the same food pantry, at the same skating rink on, um, you know, on on adult night or on uh, historically was called um, night skate was actually the colored skate night Mm. at the skating rink so they're only letting us in this establishment one night a week because the recreation Mm -hmm. and this is where we get into the play history the recreation is being administered controlled surveilled and supervised by people who have um decided they are in charge the joy is being administered and controlled by the people who have decided they're in charge so this is the only date that we can all go Mm-hmm. Am I supposed to not go? Mm-hmm. That is ridiculous. How do we survive together if we only have two black festivals in the city, or you know, we've got the one on the block, and we're supposed to, one of us is supposed to not go get that joy that happens right. once a season? Come on, <laughs> right? Yeah, that just doesn't. There is a certain practicality that doesn't just make that any of that work. Let alone. It's actually thinking a far enough ahead as opposed to, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't think in the moment at times, but we can't think in the moment in every situation. We also need to think ahead right. and have some forethought about right. something more than just, oh, we fixed this immediate problem, which equally gets into what I was saying earlier and what we've seen with this health crisis that, yeah, they're trying to mobilize with already an existing supply, but how are you prepping for the replacement supply? That's exactly it. I do not feel that our colonial medical industrial complex considers if its systems are sustainable, but what we know is that 
sustainability has never been a part of what people have done um, mm -hmm. on top of this land since it's, um, it's armed theft. Um, mm -hmm. What I mean by that is that you, you kidnap land with no idea how it restores, how it you know replenishes. You don't know any of the land stewardship practices, but also you kidnap groups of people and then you're like, oh no, like, what do we do? We're killing them. The life expectancy is very low. So then you're like, well, how do we keep taking? How do we keep taking and taking and taking and draining and consuming? without thinking, no, how do we build practices that are sustainable so that the elders train those who are interested in this life as healers and as therapists and as people professionals, because they see us so nourished that they're like, I am interested in this, in this way of being, I want the training, and I don't think it's going to harm me or dry me out. When you hear about so much of social work, people are like, well, why would I want to train in that? Like, mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. It sounds exhausting. It sounds like a recipe for burnout. And I think that's important because the majority of mental health therapists in the country are actually social workers. That was their training. And so what happens when we are not being honest that one of the lowest paid, highest burnouts, least supported fields is where the majority of the country who is dealing with chronic communal trauma is going for respite. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or expected to seek some sort of help when they haven't even purposely sought it for themselves or they're legally Absolutely. being required to do this. Absolutely. And so pre-colonially, you could not just set up shop and say, I'm doing this healing thing. And I'm not saying that therapists do that. I know therapists do not do that. What I'm saying is it was a part of training that you had to experience the care and you mm -hmm. would experience it in your training, but you would experience it because it was baked into the community through the habits mm -hmm. and customs of the community. And mm -hmm. so you weren't all dried out, never having received appropriate communal and consistent care and therapy and support yourself but going ahead and keep mm -hmm. giving and giving mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah because i know when our, we were having a sort of our pre-planning discussion another of these areas in which i'm also deeply concerned we're about to go into again in these next two years is everything that was experienced not just with the pandemic but around the election oh. and the <laughs> And the exhaustion that many of us, which is also part of the burnout we're seeing, we're seeing right now, mm -hmm. especially for therapists of color going into the, being in this field of dealing with racism mm -hmm. and our counterparts who in trying to, again, do that martyrdom and rescue them, mm -hmm. sent clients that basically openly practice racism or covertly practice racism into our offices. And expecting us to not only give them an experience of being being with a person of color, but somehow equally care when we're already trying to survive the racism outside our office 
now it's coming into our offices mm -hmm. and where do we get our reprieve from it it is oh goodness gracious I, I, the com the the colonial model of being a helper that a lot of us were taught consistently sacrifices us and consistently um a, it, it forgets that we are humans and that we are not resources um to be drained we are not um a black person is not your enlightenment your educator and you're coming to consciousness about the harm you are actively doing to them right now <laughs> mm -hmm. and that's assuming that they actively actually want to exactly heal consent, that in consent mm -hmm. is key and so assuming i think one of the the things that happens within oppressive structures is that the person being harmed is told to then become the educator of the person that's harming them or the system or the community that's harming them. Um, and it's never thought about that that person probably needs respite and healing and care themselves. And so it should be about them receiving, not mm. about them continuing to give. Mm -hmm. But um, that colonial helper model says, how can you always be useful? How can you be helpful? How can you not not ever check in with your body. I work a lot on, with body honesty. So mm -hmm. stop trying to do and ask your body what it actually wants and needs and craves. And so that that colonial model is you're never checking in with your body. Instead, you turn you're turning people into projects, mm -hmm. or you're you're focused on okay, but where can I go help? How can I go do the work? How can I sacrifice myself and my heart? and my spirit and my joy and in those models you as a therapist who's receiving these um these clients that are actively harming your consciousness are not safe for you harming your body uh, harming your nervous system you're supposed to go find self-care and recreation and play somewhere else you're supposed to go do that on the weekend mm -hmm. after you have been sacrificed and harmed for mm -hmm. five days in a row you're supposed to somehow recover on the weekend and when that's happening whether it's racism or it's some other continual harm it's like people don't think about how does that therapist go home and have an enjoyable evening how do they have sex with their partners how do they play with their kids how do they find joy and pleasure and and uh, fun and laughter? Understanding that people are whole human beings means mm. considering them outside of just how can they give, how can they help? And I think that when our population has been taught to not check in with our bodies, we don't understand that it's harmful for other people to do that to not check in with theirs because we're not used to checking in with ours. So mm -hmm. we're all like, nope, you just gotta give and give and give. And you black person, brown person, trans therapist, whomever, you too just give and give and give. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, on that note, I think that's a good place for us to stop, take a break and mm -hmm. 
take a moment of rest for all of us <laughs> before we get into this second half. So I'm going to let you say your name because I keep screwing it up. <laughs> it's okay. I'm going to walk you through it. So the, the part that gets people, besides the fact that they haven't seen it before, is the mm -hmm. share. So you can uh, think of me as someone who shares words or shares, I don't know, cookies if I have them. It's Mishera. Mishera. Um, and I, I want to say, I think I'm getting this Sahara portion from the Sierra, it, the Sahara Desert. <laughs> but that's also when that you dry. No, 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 dry. no, no. But that also is that aspect of how I've learned to survive with my dyslexia is what yeah. looks like a similar spelling that I can also pronounce exactly and use that as the basis for how i'm trying to pronounce your name but it means i'm also saying it wrong yeah you it so it's the share that's what gets the people so Michera. it's Michera, yeah and, and especially i go by Mashera d for my middle name winston but if you can get the Mashera, you've got it <laughs> so we'll be right back with Mashera d winston i'm perry clark licensed marriage and family therapist so stay tuned folks Our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating. Untangle and Grow Counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from. Visit us on the web at untangleandgrowcounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit untangleandgrowcounseling.com for more information. You are listening to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist, here with Mishara. <laughs> Daniel Winston, here talking about her work with uh, Tribe Thrive, as well as what it means being at this time of the year, which we're talking about Black Pride, Black History, Black Excellence. And one of the things that I know we talked about in our pre-discussion was the aspect of family and family and play and how play and recreation also shows up there. So what do you got for us there? <laughs> um, I found because of how I grew up, you mentioned in the bio that I um, am a survivor of a family cult, a multi-generational family um, cult. Um, I found that I had to go outside of my family for recreation, for fun, mm -hmm. for care. Mm -hmm. um, someone recently said a cult is a uh, healing community gone awry. And so it, one of the tenets of, of play and why it's so amazing and why I became an adventure therapist is that play sends a signal to the rest of the body that the person is safe. And mm -hmm. so I had to, for that safety, I had to go outside of the home and the family to play, but I just find it to be 
so re uh, revolutionary and really um, show some of the, the body's inherited systems of knowing that we mm -hmm. crave fun, mm -hmm. we crave pleasure. And yes, we've been taught, uh, oh no, don't get too deep into that pleasure, might be sin, might be this, might be that. But I encourage us to really pay attention. What does your body want and love? And for me, um, that has really opened up the world of play. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, because one of the biggest things too, when we're dealing with trauma, is that there's never, there's never a point, especially generational trauma is that sense of what's normalized around not only our creativity, but what's been taken away absolutely the survival mechanism that we work with doesn't focus on you know painting drawing or any of these things because it's not productive in key keeping the body alive keeping food in there keeping shelter in there and there is so much that our structures and colonial or not focus on that's the minimum that's required absolutely so so there there can be a an assumption that you have to earn joy, that mm -hmm. you have to earn pleasure, you have to earn mm -hmm. play. And that's why I find play to be so subversive and so good mm -hmm. when I ask people, you know, with everything we do as a, as a coach, as a, as the facilitator of Crave for people professionals, um, I have a, another uh, training called Boundaries for Juicy Dreams. Like, People are like, well, what does what does boundaries have to do with play and pleasure? And I'm like, well, if your boundaries aren't created based off of your imaginings and your dreams and your desires, how will they root in your body? How are they ever going to be effective if you don't have something like pleasure-based actions to lean on? And so um, I think there's this assumption that play is frivolous. And mm -hmm. I find it that like, there's a reason why the IG accounts we sometimes love the best are the ones where the person is engaging with joy. They're, it's not all dry. It's not mm -hmm. all intellectual. It's mm -hmm. funny. It's silly. And it lets us be expressive. And mm -hmm. I find that the ways we've done that, whether it's your, your grandparents being expressive in their cooking or their big gaudy uh, you know, fashions, all of those things that we've had historically, um, they're really good for our mental wellness. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, and that also comes back too to what we struggle with too in dealing with children, especially even with dealing with ADHD, where the idea that the punishment in school is to take away the recess. Exactly. That teaches us that pleasure is a reward. Um, I'm, I'm gonna go on ahead and credit Rashida Khan Bay Miller. And Rashida reminds us that pleasure is fuel. It mm -hmm. is not a reward. Mm. Pleasure is fuel. And so my work life, like what you heard on the Rebel Therapist podcast, I got there by asking my body what would feel good. And that was scary. And it, mm -hmm. I find that when I work with people with boundaries and I work with people um, for multiple weeks in Crave, I'm asking them what would feel good. And they are so quick to tell me what they think. I didn't ask that. I didn't ask, 
let's think it through. I said, let's feel it through. Mm-hmm. What would feel good? And a lot of times we're scared because we've been taught the art, the dance, the, the laughter. We've been taught, well, you'll starve. You'll be a starving artist. Who's going to pay for that services? Mm-hmm. Uh, that that joy-based thing, that's not worth anything. So I mm-hmm. think that as we're trying to survive, um, we've been taught that pleasure is dangerous and that pleasure will not like it's not worth it to check in your body because you won't make it that way. And I found as a kid, that is why I made it. I was like, mm-hmm. I didn't have the words for nervous system, but I was like, mm-hmm. y'all getting on my nerves. In this, mm-hmm. House. Mm-hmm. this chronic abuse and neglect. I'm going to go on outside and I'm going to play. And that really got me thinking about like the communal play and the the dodgeball, the kickball, the the fish fries. Um, Mm -hmm. And it really took me out of that role since you mentioned childhood. It took me out of a savior role in my house where my nervous system is scanning for danger. And I'm trying to, um, I was a a kid and still an adult, you know, I lean toward fight. So if Mm -hmm. it's fight, flight or something else, fawn, freeze, I have experience with all of them, but I was, I was the kid that was like, I'll stand up for the people in this house. Now, what happens to that kid? You know, how are they Mm -hmm. supposed to find any pleasure and joy if they're Mm -hmm. always on high warrior alert? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. pleasure takes, takes me out of how do I take care of everyone else at my own expense? And you talk about the, uh, you bring up that aspect of war. And I know I was talking to a client yesterday who was doing, who does, who does judo. And I basically said, what did they teach you about, about the mental side of this? And they talk about mental, he said, mental toughness and so forth. But I said, yeah, but do you realize the Bushito, the code of many warriors, also talks about other parts of how you manage your life as well, not just the mental toughness. Absolutely. And even there, still the notion of what does it mean for a samurai, a knight, uh, mm-hmm. to do in their off time? I mean, even the Maasai warriors, uh, I think I forget exactly what it was that I was listening to, which basically said the best warrior is not the one who could punch hardest or run fastest and so forth. It was the one who could understand what was needed at that time, the flexibility. And sometimes that flexibility also means we play. Absolutely. And if I think about a lot of the, these tend to be patriarchal (laughs) movies, uh, but they'll show it's not all just war and warriorship. It's like they usually go to some sort of tavern where Mm -hmm. they engage in all sorts of various pleasures. There's usually, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, several kegs of beer. And I think one of the, and they have a jolly good time before the fight, but I think that we get to, I think in the warrior um, stereotype, it has said that like men especially are just these machines and they don't Mm -hmm. get to check in with how they actually feel. And so Mm -hmm. even their pleasure depicted in these movies is how can I get drunk enough to not be aware of what I'm doing so I don't have to feel? I don't have to feel fear. Mm-hmm. But when you are constantly avoiding feeling, including mm-hmm. 
avoiding feeling fear, you're also avoiding joy. You're also mm. avoiding if you stay in a state where all your play takes you out of your body, then how mm -hmm. do you ever feel ecstasy? How do you ever feel uh, like extreme laughter when you're not necessarily under um, the goodness of, of a good drink or whatever else you like to indulge mm -hmm. in? Um, so I think those body check-ins invite us to like, what things give me pleasure besides mm -hmm. going to the tavern and keeping myself in a warrior posture all the time is not good for that body. And maybe that's mm -hmm. why we've been taught not to ask, hey body, what do you need? What do you want? Because our body would be like, baby, take a nap. <laughs> like, <laughs> I would like chocolate pie. Why, why is all we ever do fight and be a warrior? <laughs> like mm -hmm, I would mm -hmm. like to go sit by that lake and, and relax. <laughs> yeah, part of what you're fighting for is also that place of joy, that place of rest. Exactly. Not just for those that you care about, but even for yourself. Exactly. And so when do you get to dance? I think if we look at pre-colonial history, first of all, warrior was not just one gender, but secondly, mm -hmm. um, People dance, people made jokes, they played, like they, mm -hmm. they went around that fire, they did storytelling. Being a, a warrior was not a, a super limiting robotic <laughs> way of being. And there, there are many ways to fight, but you, um, you don't have to fight all the time, but there are many ways to yep. fight. <laughs> yeah, which bring this back to what we were talking about with therapists is along the same lines. And I'm suddenly thinking about a, a meme that has floated around that has, what is it like going to a Klingon therapist? <laughs> At which point the, the Klingon therapist acknowledges the battle you are fighting with whatever that situation is. And that for all honesty, you're far better than any of the other warriors that maybe swinging a bathless or firing a phaser in the fact that you are dealing with this every day when they have to wait to do those moments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you have honor and it's a good day to die. <laughs> so with that, where can people find you? People can find me at Mishara D. Winston. I'm going to spell out my name. I know it'll be there, but I'm going to spell it out. Mishara, M-I-S-H, H is in Harry, A is in Apple, R-A, M-I-S-H-A-R-A, D. Winston is where you find me on Facebook and on Instagram and on my website, MisharaDWinston.com. Excellent. So I want to thank you again for this, and it's a pleasure <laughs> to talk to you. And at some point, we also have to talk about your experience with Wakanda Forever as well. Oh, yes. I, I'm actually going to see it again with my dad, uh, yes, um, this Saturday so that I can re-re-re-get my life so I can enjoy <laughs> it to the fullest extent possible. <laughs> nice. All righty. So be well, have a good Thanksgiving. And for all of you there listening to us, I hope you had a good Valentine's Day and you're looking forward to our spring that's coming up next month in March. So stay tuned, folks. Got more coming your way.
thank you for tuning in for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Be sure to join your host, Perry Clark, for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.